Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Good morning, Summit Church. Glad that you're here. My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to be able to share God's Word with you. If you are here in the worship center or you're joining online, we are glad to have you here. This is Vision Sunday. I'm going to be sharing a message today from 2 Kings chapter 6. So take your Bibles, you can open them up, you can turn them on. Join me in locating the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. That's our text for this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in the seat below you, in front of you. Now, we are in a James series, but we put that on hold for this week. Uh, we'll pick it up next week, back in James. Those who are participating, writing out the book of James, keep on writing. You should be working on week three. Encourage you to keep at that. But where we're going today is we're going to be looking at God's Word to guide us. And then I, along with a couple of other folks, are going to share with you the vision that God has laid on our hearts for Summit Church this is one of those um, times as a church family that we circle the wagons, uh, so to speak. Uh, a church family day here at Summit Church, sharing together as, as we sense God leading us, beginning this next phase of the journey that God has for us. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and if you'll notice verse 1, 2 Kings 6 Verse 1, the company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. And then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. Then they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. And then the man reached out his hand and took it. I love this passage of Scripture. And my message this morning is entitled, Making Room. And, and, and how the, the subtitle would simply be, How Does God Build a Kingdom? How does God build His kingdom? Well, first of all, I want you to see the company of prophets. First of all, when God builds His kingdom... God gifts people with the abilities that they need to do what he's called them to do. And so here's the company of the prophets. They said to Elisha. So Elisha is the man of God. He's the prophet. He's taken over for Elijah. And the company of prophets 
Um, a story that's dated back to earliest, uh, to, to eighth, eighth century BC. After Elijah the prophet was taken up into heaven in a chariot, Elisha was the prophet in the land. He was mentoring this young group of prophets. God gifts people. Well, one of the ways that God builds his kingdom is he gifts people to do what he's called them to do. And so prophet school was in session. And that's what it means when it says the sons of the prophets or a group of prophets. Those who were training for ministry. They were called. They were seeking to learn. They were desiring to disciple one another. They were people who together with the prophet Elijah are involved in building the kingdom of God. That's what we learn in verse 1. God gifts people. But another way that God builds his kingdom is that God grows ministry. He grows ministry. Look, the place where we meet with you is too small of us. So apparently things were going well. The, the ministry was growing. The, the school of the prophets was growing. The, the issue was the place where they were meeting was too small. God was growing people, people who needed the tools to grow. God was growing them. They needed more room to grow. It's a good problem to have, really, but it has to be dealt with. That reminds us that practical issues have spiritual implications. Practical issues have spiritual implications. And so they identify a problem. The place where they meet was too small, not enough room to, to where they were worshiping, not enough room to meet to study, not enough room for fellowship, not enough room to do what needed to be done. They may have even lacked bathroom space. <laughs> it was just too small. It didn't have room. They didn't have a place where they could prepare food to take care of all of these prophets. Maybe they didn't have room to gather and plan what was to come. And so Elisha was working with them, and he knew they weren't lying. The old facility for housing the sons of the prophets wasn't large enough to meet the needs of all those who wanted to be trained for ministry. And so at some point, they, they knew that what was happening was a good thing. God was growing ministry. And, and, and as other, can you imagine this? As others began to show interest... <laughs> And things were moving, and things were growing, and um, others were coming to them, and, and they needed more space. Um, that, that could have been a difficult conversation. It's like, okay, well, um, here's the problem. We don't, we don't have room for you. We're out of space. Or, great that you want to be a part of this thing and, and everything that we're doing, but sorry, we, we won't be able to serve you well, and could you come back later? Or, what, do you, what do you say to someone who is eager to learn and to grow and to study, but you can't meet their needs. You see, this wasn't a spiritual problem per se. It was a spatial problem they were having, but it was a problem. So God was making things grow. But another way, and here's the third point, when God is building a kingdom, the third thing I want you to see, it's on the screen for you, God gives vision. So he gifts people, he grows ministry, and when God builds a kingdom, he gives a vision. So they ask, uh, ask Elisha for approval. They needed the man of God to go with them. Uh, Elisha wisely says, go, you know, go ahead. Uh, reminds me of Jesus' command to his disciples when he told them to go and make disciples. Here's Elisha saying, go. They, they head to the Jordan. They, they, there's a relocation project at hand. And they begin to cut down trees. God gave a vision. Somebody came up with a vision. 
It was hard work. And notice, I love the, the joint effort. They all joined in. Let us go. Let us go. Each one of us, let us build. There was skin in the game. Let us go. But God gave a vision. Now look, somebody took the time to think this through. Somebody sat down. It wasn't just one day, you know, somebody identified the problem and went running up to the prophet Elisha, but they had taken time. They were evaluating. Someone had, had taken the time. The problem was easy to see, but the solution had to be thought through. Somebody did some research. Somebody did some investigation. Somebody maybe did a road trip. Where can we get good lumber? And so they knew that there was trees that could be cut down by the Jordan River and they could build a place there. They found out there was a place that had the resources they needed. Somebody figured out how big it should be. Somebody figured out how much it would cost. Somebody figured out how they could do it and what it should look like. And they rallied support and they devised a plan. And then they came up with a vision and they go to Elisha and they said, here's what we want to do. Let us go to the Jordan and there we're going we're to cut down trees and we're going to build a place for us to meet. They needed total support. They needed unity of labor. And they needed an ax to cut down trees. They didn't have an ax. And so they borrowed one. Now, it's okay. It's okay to borrow things sometimes, right? Um, and they began cutting down trees with the borrowed axe. And notice what happened. They went to the Jordan. They began cutting down trees. Look at verse 5. As one of them was cutting down a tree, doing whatever it was to help complete the vision. Wasn't messing around, wasn't off doing his own thing, but while he was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Seems like that's the way it always goes, doesn't it? Someone takes the lead, gets a vision from God, gets a vision, they've tested the vision, they've communicated the vision, and now they're working on completing the vision. But even as you know, when you're doing something even for God, things that God has ordained, sometimes things go wrong. Stuff happens. Obstacles emerge. Motion causes friction. Trouble is a fact of life. And so while they were doing the vision, completing the vision, the axe head flies off the handle, plop into the Jordan River and disappears. Uh, begin doing what God wanted him to do. And so he cries out, oh, it was borrowed. On top of it all, not only does this bring the, the project to a grinding halt, but now he, he also mentions the fact it was borrowed. Yeah, and it's crucial to the project. A double whammy. I, I want to stop here long enough at least to give him some credit, that poor soul that lost the axe head. And notice that he stopped chopping. That's a good thing. He knew when the axe head flew off. He didn't keep on going through the motions, pretending. Let me, let me just stop here also just long enough to point out some discipleship truths. I'm going to have to fly through this, so listen fast. Um, these flies. How do you know when you've lost your cutting edge? Let me just talk about a couple discipleship things here. There's a spiritual picture here. It's just not just a picture of 
them cutting down trees for a new building. There's a spiritual picture here. How, how do you know when you've lost your cutting edge, your, your spiritual sharpness? How do you know? Well, two things. One, you start losing your love. Things don't move you anymore. You don't, things don't touch your heart anymore. Your heart grows cold. You can sit through service after service and it doesn't touch you. You can sit through service after service, it doesn't move you. You, you can look around and say, hey, what's, what's everybody else so fired up? Your heart's grown cold. One of the things you do is you, love, you lose love. And the second thing is, you start losing faith. In fact, David, the psalmist, said, I had almost stopped believing. I had almost lost my faith. King David, the man, man after God's own heart, said, I almost lost my faith. You stop taking risks. Your vision shrinks. You start losing your vision for what God wants to do with your life. You start playing it safe, being predictable, ho-hum. You just kind of back off and say, I'm just going to do well with this simple, humble, little, comfortable existence that I have. You start losing your love. You start losing your faith. But can I, can I say in the same way that this man stopped chopping, if that is true of you, admit it and temporarily stop chopping. It's a difficult step to humbly, humbly say, hey, I've lost it. I don't feel close to you, God, like I used to. I've lost my cutting edge. I need it back. So he stopped chopping. Here's the second thing. He sought help immediately. He cried out. He goes, oh, my Lord, help me. Help me. Not bad words to memorize. Lord, help Lord help. He went to the man of God. If you lose your spiritual edge, if that's you today, then you need to start by saying, God, reignite my passion. God, light the fire again. Warm my cold heart. I'm not as close to you as I used to be. I need your presence in my life. I think something else that he did well was he marked the spot. So when the man of God looked at him and said, where did it fall? He knew exactly where to point. And sometimes in our lives, we need to know the reason we lost our spiritual edge. Why? What happened? I was going to run through these real quickly. Sometimes the spot that causes us to lose our spiritual edge is busyness. <laughs> We're just too busy. We tend to forget God. Or disobedience. Not doing what you know God wants you to do will cause you to lose your spiritual edge. Resentment is another one. It's a major thing that causes you to lose your spiritual edge. If you hold anger in your heart, you're going to lose your spiritual edge. Selfishness, that'll do it. When you rely on your own strength or your own power, you can lose your edge. Laziness. We stop doing the things that we know keep us close to God. We lose our edge. We stop fellowship with other Christians. We isolate ourselves. We slow down and slack off from attending worship. We get lazy with tithing or serving or sharing any of the things that I know will help to make my heart tender and warm toward others and toward God. It could be anger, it could be fear, it could be fatigue. But he marked the spot. If you've lost your spiritual edge, do you know where it happened? You go back and reclaim it. Oh my Lord, he cried out. Now, I need to get back to this kingdom piece. That was just, I don't know if you know that, we just, we just took a side road there. I don't want you to miss the discipleship, the, some of the spiritual implications of this text. I love this text. So how God builds a kingdom. He gifts people. He grows ministry. I love the passage of Scripture that says 
you know, someone came along and they, they planted and, 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 and someone else watered. But God makes things grow. God makes things grow. He gifts people. He grows ministry. He gives vision. Now notice this. He grants resources. Back to the story. The axe falls off. It's, now, <laughs> picture this. The axe flies off. Have you ever used an axe or a hammer? My dad had a, a little hammer. It was a ball-peen hammer. We didn't use it a lot, but there were times when we were working around the anvil that you just needed a ball-peen hammer. Sometimes we were rounding off the top of a, a rivet when we were replacing sections in a, in a sickle. And we'd have to peen the... the, the um, uh, it's not a bolt, but it's a rivet. And so we'd use the ball-peen hammer. The thing about that hammer, though, is the head was loose. And what had happened, it, it had broken at some time, and we kind of re reformed it on there, but you had to be careful. There were times where you knew full well that the, the head of that hammer was loose. And so you know what you do. You just kind of bang it on the back, you know, tighten it up, and you keep on going. Have you ever done that? Y'all look at me like I'm the only one that's ever done this. You ever use a hammer? Thank you. An axe. Well, this thing's been loose for hours, folks. Axe heads don't just fly off. They're not tight one minute and fly off the next. It's been loose for hours. And it goes flying, and everyone ducks. And who knows, maybe somebody reaches to catch it, but no. Into the Jordan River it goes, plop, sinks. Because iron sinks. Disappears, it's gone. Maybe one other thing we could compliment the man for is he kept the handle. <laughs> don't lose the handle. If your spiritual axe head flies off, don't throw the handle away. The action that took some faith and hope, uh, at least I was, there, was, there was hope enough to, to say, I, I, I'll keep the handle. Where did it fall? He shows him the spot. Elisha cuts a stick, and he makes the iron float. Elisha does something pretty odd here. He cuts a stick, he throws it in the water, and the axe head floats to the top. What's the significance of that stick? What's the spiritual power of that stick? Well, I suppose some could say, if you, if you wanted to trace it back, you know, it was wood. Christ was, you know, crucified on a cross, then there's some connection there. But you know what? I'm not sure that's what Elijah was or Elisha was thinking about when he cut a stick and threw it there. In one sense, the stick had nothing to do with what was about to happen. It was a visual demonstration of faith. It was just a stick. I'm going to do something that shows that I believe God will restore what this guy lost. And look, Elisha is not Houdini. Elisha is, is not some magician. He's not saying, hey, watch me. I'm going to pull a hat out of a, uh, I'm going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. It would be even more impressive if he could pull the hat out of the rabbit, right? <laughs> Simply saying, I'm going to throw this stick in the water. And how many of you know that iron doesn't float? It doesn't float. It sinks. It doesn't float. And so this was a miracle, not an almost miracle. It was a bona fide miracle. Unless God got involved, it ain't going to work kind of miracle. We are sunk with the iron X head if God doesn't do a miracle. You see, how God builds a kingdom is he, 
grants the resources that are needed. The point of the story is that God specializes in doing the impossible. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. What seems impossible in your life? You may say, I'll never, I'll never be close to God again. You're wrong. Never be blessed by God again. You're wrong. I may, may never be used by God again. You're wrong. I may never have his power in my life. You're wrong. Iron doesn't float. You're wrong. It did in this sense. Jeremiah 15, 19, the Lord says, if you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. What a promise. I have some good news for you. You don't have to depend on your power. You have God's power in your life. Borrowed. By the way, you know that everything you have in life is borrowed. We were talking about this this last week in Life Group, and someone was just sharing about um, the, the disciplines of God in their life and, and, and began to learn about giving and tithing and, and, and came to the conclusion, he realized that all of this stuff wasn't his and that 10% of it belonged to God. And so he, he was going to, you know, he, he, was, he was tithing. And then as he began to think about it more, he said, I think I'm still wrong because 10% doesn't belong to God, 100% belongs to God. But he's asked of me, my obedience. Those of you who are Christians who understand just the, the, the basic principles of serving God, he said, so I, the, the resources, all of it belongs to God. He said it's borrowed. Everything we have is borrowed. You didn't bring anything into this world. You're not taking anything out of this world. But watch this. In order to build of the kingdom, I want you to see this. This is crucial for our understanding today. People had to do their part. Lift it out, Elijah. Elisha told the man, you go get it. Now, maybe Elisha didn't want to get his new sneakers wet. I don't know. But here's the point. The man reached out his hand and took it. Not only did people have to get involved in seeking vision from God, they had to engage in accomplishing it. And when disaster struck and God came through again, he had to reach out and he had to take it. He, he, he had to have the faith to trust God and remain a participant in kingdom work. God did his part and he always does. He cannot fail. He will not fail. God did this miracle, but he engaged people in that process. He expected human beings to do their part. God just brought to the top of the water. The man had to go get it. He said, I made it available to you. I made it so you could receive it, but you have to receive it. And here's the final thing about how God builds his kingdom. He gets the glory. God gifts people. God grows ministry. He gives vision. He grants resources. God is a jealous God. Not for human praise, not for um, accomplishment, not for human praise. It is so that God gets the glory. Everyone gets on with leading the people who follow Christ. And at the end of chapter 7, story over. That's it. Nothing much more is said about the school of the prophets, except that you know that throughout the Old Testament, you see it showing up again. They were there. They were serving. God used them. God blessed them. And they were part of the kingdom. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.